0: Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, and though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took his scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Father, we come to you today through Christ, our great high priest, our mediator, and we come in the power and comfort of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for your word. We ask you to give us ears to hear and eyes to see wondrous things in your word. Would you give us your heart for the nations? God, will you fill us with a passion for your glory to spread across all the earth? We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. All God's people said, amen. 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 Well, church, in our years together... Our pastor, as a true and good South Floridian, has graced us with many wild and crazy stories from the happenings in the Sunshine State. I figured it appropriate to share just one more with you this morning. The Majesty Building is an 18-story building along the I-4 interstate in Orlando. that broke ground in January of 2001 with an expected completion date of 2003. Twenty-two years later, the building remains unfinished and vacant, and it's acquired the nickname among residents, the I-4 Eyesore. (laughs) To this date, there's still no timeline for the building's completion due to unforeseen delays. You could say that. It's fully funded, it's awaiting completion, and the building even has a Twitter, and their handle or their tagline says, Rome was not built in a day, (laughs) so... At least they're acknowledging the elephant in the room, right? Friends, God also has a building project that He's been working on throughout the ages. We learned about part of it last week, how He started it in Genesis 12. It's not a building project of brick and mortar, but a building project made up of people from all the families of the earth to save a people for His glory. God's building project hasn't encountered any unforeseen delays, thanks be to God. All is going according to plan in his perfect timing. God has paid in full to see this project through, through his precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It is finished. It's accomplished. And yet today, here we are, still seeing people saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation, are we not? The multi-ethnic people of God have been purchased, but we're also awaiting the completion of God bringing each of his children to faith until the end of the age. So as we turn to our text here this morning in Revelation 5, from the outset, I want you to know that this is going to be more of a topical sermon rather than expositional. As fun as it would be to unpack all of the nuts and bolts in Revelation 5 and be here for the next three hours... I'll save that for our pastor to take us through the whole book of Revelation one day. I don't know when that will be, but it will be an adventure, and I look forward to it. But what we're going to do this morning is just make a few high-level high observations from John's vision here in Revelation 5. We're going to zoom out, and what we're going to do is look at how we as Castleton Community Church go about the task of seeing this vision become reality, seeing this vision come to fruition, So in looking at Revelation 5, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, John is receiving this vision of what's happening in the heavenly realms, and what he sees is utterly glorious. It's a beautiful depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is shown to be the only one worthy to open the scroll and to break the seven seals. Uh, The scroll and the seals here in this case, they contain God's plan of judgment and redemption for the entire created order. And Jesus Again, he's the only one worthy and able to execute God's judgments and to accomplish his redemption. You might be asking, well, why is he the only one worthy? Look at verse 9 with me. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For, here's the why, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people And nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is he worthy? He's worthy because he was slain. He was killed on a Roman cross to ransom people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This, friends, is the climactic end for which God has been working from the beginning of creation to rescue a people from every corner of the earth. As we saw last week from Pastor Tommy, this was not an add-on. It's not a change in plans because things with Israel didn't quite work out the way that he had hoped. This was God's amazing, sovereign, intricate plan from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, to save a multi-ethnic people for his glory. And the song that they're singing here, the heavenly beings are singing, makes it clear for us that what Jesus has ransomed this group of people. It has been accomplished. It is finished. And yet, once again, this vision is not yet complete. This is something that theologians call the already not yet, which simply defined is this. It's the overlapping between this present age and the one to come. Jesus has purchased and redeemed a people It is done. It is finished. He said so on the cross. But it is also not yet. What is the not yet part of it? As Christians in 2023, we're still, again, seeing people. We're in process of seeing this vision come to pass. Seeing people Christ died for learn of him for the first time and enter into his family. There are people in this world that Jesus died to save that have yet to hear the message of the gospel. And how does God plan to declare this saving message to them? Through you and through me. We have that great privilege. Last week we saw that the gospel was God's plan from beginning to end to bring salvation to the nations. In a similar way, the church is God's plan for that gospel to reach them. There is no other plan, friends. We are it. We are God's plan to save the nations. What a privilege that is. What a privilege and not a burden. There's no other plan. There's no plan B. We get to hold up to the world the Lamb of God who was slain so that people can be rescued and receive the inoculation of the blood of Christ to cleanse them from all sin through his death and resurrection. It's the greatest news in the entire world. It's what we come together each and every Sunday to sing about and praise God for. And God has called you and I to participate with him in this great mission, to proclaim that wonderful message. What a privilege, right? That we get to be a part of that. We are clay in God's hands, the instruments that he uses. And who are we to, to do this? To do something so great and so marvelous. But friends, isn't this what God is in the business of doing? We learned a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians that God is in the business of using what is foolish and weak in the eyes of the world to magnify his power and glory. And so friends, again, it is good to be reminded that this is a privilege, not a burden, to be given this great mission of sharing Jesus with all the nations Of course, all of it done through the power of the Spirit, we know that apart from Him, we can do nothing. And I want you to hear this at the beginning here, that this isn't a message to heap pressure on us. As if the mission stands or falls on our shoulders alone, God will see to it that this mission is accomplished. That His work is finished and we can rest in that. And yet we know that he has called us to partake and participate in it. And so we strive toward this great work, as Paul says in Colossians, toiling and struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so with that as a foundation, we get understanding our great privilege to be partakers with God himself in this plan of salvation. How is it that we as a church are called to do this together? Here at Castleton Community Church in the year of 2023 and beyond, how do we engage in this mission that God has given us? So my hope this morning is that you'll come away with a better understanding of our strategy and our values for Global Outreach Ministry at Castleton, so our strategy and our values. First, we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at our strategy. So to understand our strategy, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, I hope you do have a copy of God's Word to look at. If you don't, we have Bibles in the back that you can take as our gift to you. Romans 15, verses 18 to 24. Romans 15, 18 to 24 four. will also be up on the screen for you. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul here, in closing his letter to the Romans, He tells the church there that his ministry to the Gentiles in the region of Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum has been fulfilled. He says, my ministry here has been completed. And now his ambition is to preach Christ where he's not yet been named. He wants to take the gospel to a people who had never heard of it. As a brief aside, a a word to our younger people in the room, our students, or even if you're a young adult early on in your career, in our younger years, we're filled with dreams and ambitions and desires of great and grand things, and that's wonderful. That is a good thing. Many of those things are God-birthed in us. But I wonder, friends, where does the Great Commission fall in your list of dreams, where does the Great Commission fall in your list of ambitions for your life? Is it your ambition to see Christ proclaimed where he's not known? Is that even anywhere in the, in the equation? Is it on your radar at all? For Paul, that was the greatest desire. The, the greatest ambition of his life was to see Christ proclaimed to people who had never heard about the one who could save them and rescue them from the judgment to come. And so please consider, ask the Lord how he might bring together your dreams and goals with the Great Commission. Our God is creative. What if God birthed the desire in your heart to be a business leader or an IT professional or a medical worker so that you could simultaneously do that while reaching the nations? Or maybe you work to reach the nations right here in the U.S. There are needs for people to hold the rope so to speak here stateside so that others can go so that others are mobilized to go to the nations we have some of those folks right here in our own church i'd love to connect them to you if you have more inform or questions about what they do or what their work is like I'm sure they'd love to share with you we're so grateful for their role in this great work of reaching the nations and i want you to know that to demonstrate our love and support for them, we as a church, we, we give a year-end gift to them, those that are members of our church that do this, as a way to just show our love and support and a token of our gratitude for what they're doing, playing their part in the Great Commission. And so students, dream big. Get creative. God can use your life in thousands of ways to help see this vision come to pass. And if you're a young adult, if you'd like to learn more about what God is doing around the world or your part in it, there's a really neat event coming up on Friday night, calling it a Young Adult Missions Night. It's uh, Friday, July 21st at 6 p.m. It's going to be hosted by the Laramers who live just right across the street. I'm told there will be Venezuelan food there, so if nothing else. Come and enjoy some yummy ethnic food. Um, if you're interested in that, uh, please talk with Matt Magumia if you don't know who that is. Please see me, and I'll gladly connect you with him. But coming back to Romans 15, Paul makes his ambition and his goal very clear to this church in Rome. And he goes on to tell them, as we read, that he plans to journey to Spain, which in that day was the end of the known world. In their eyes, the gospel had taken root where Paul had been, and now his priority was to take the gospel to people who had never heard it before. These are people that are in total spiritual darkness, with no hope of believing in Christ to be saved, because there's no one there who can share with them the message of the gospel. This is what we call unreached peoples. You may have heard that term before if you've been around the church, or been to a missions conference, or heard someone, maybe another sermon on missions, But unreached peoples have really exploded that term in missiology over the last couple decades. But before we unpack what unreached peoples are, I think it might be helpful for us to understand what peoples are in the first place. You might even be asking, why do you keep saying peoples? That word is already plural. You don't need to (laughs) add the S to it. But friends, even the Bible says people, so it's safe, I promise. But let me uh, illuminate hopefully a little bit of what peoples are, what people groups are. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, it's easy for us to hear that, especially that word nations, and project our contemporary understanding of what that word means. But Jesus, he's not referring here to geopolitical nation states like we think of when we hear that word. With the, rest of the, help, with the help of the rest of Scripture and passages like we began with in Revelation 5, identifies the redeemed people of God not as coming from nation-states, but as coming from every language and tribe and coming from all the families of the earth, like we saw last week in Genesis 12. A people group simply defined is this. It's a distinct ethnic group of people that identify themselves as such through common language, history, and culture. It's a distinct ethnic group of people that identify themselves as such through a shared language, history, and culture. And so, if you're not aware, there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of people groups, even in single nations. For example, there are almost 2,400 people groups in the nation of India alone. One of our partners, Good News for India, who serves among northern India, they work among predominantly a group of people called the Yadav people. This is a group of people who are currently 0.01% Christian. And guess how many people are in the Yadav people? 41 million. You might hear that and be like, okay, that's a lot of people. But let me just paint the picture for how many people that actually is. 41 million people. I'm not a mathematician, but I did work this out, I promise. That is as many people as live in the states of Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, and Michigan combined. Just this one people group in India. Think of all the cities that I just that, that come to mind. Like Indianapolis, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, Detroit. All of those cities, all those states combined equal 41 million people. That's just this one people group in northern India. And so what that means is that there is one Christian for every 410,000 people in the Yadav people. Just let that sit for a moment. That reality that those people likely have no hope of encountering someone with the gospel. There is no church presence there for them to go and find out and learn about Jesus. People truly do go their entire lives without encountering one Christian who might share the gospel with them. And so here at Castleton, we believe that in evaluating the progress of the gospel to the world, it's most helpful and biblical to think in terms of people groups rather than countries. So this begs the question, well then, what constitutes unreached peoples? Well, what, where do you draw the line? What, what does that mean, Luke? What does it mean for someone to be unreached? You might even be saying to yourself, I have unreached people in my neighborhood. I have unreached people in my workplace. To which I would say, yes, indeed, they are lost, but not unreached. The difference between your lost neighbor and the lost person in Somalia is you. And you, and you, and you, and me. The difference between your lost co-worker and the lost person in Pakistan is the witnessing community of Castleton Community Church here on the corner of Allisonville and 91st and College Park Church on 96th and Town, and Castleview Church on 86th and Hague, all of these witnessing communities and many more. That's the difference, friends. We are here to share with them the hope of Christ. The gospel is available to them. There are faithful churches throughout our land that give people access to the saving message of Christ. And so an unreached people group It's one that is made up of less than 2% followers of Jesus. So if it's 2% or less, what that means is that the overwhelming majority of those people in that group will never encounter someone who can tell them the good news of the gospel. Recently, the restaurant chain Raising Cane's brought its franchise to the Indianapolis area. Now, I've not had the privilege of eating there yet, I plan to, but I've heard that it rivals that of even the royalty of chicken, Chick-fil-A. Such blasphemy shouldn't be uttered, you say. <laughs> and I agree with you. Before they brought their restaurant group to Indy, I, we had no way of knowing or no way of experiencing it for ourselves because it wasn't accessible, right? Unless we traveled out of state But now, there is a Raising Cain's presence right here in Indianapolis. We can go anytime we'd like and experience it. It is accessible to us. Now, I know it's an, an imperfect illustration, but in a similar way, there are people groups who have no access to the gospel because there's simply too few Christians among them or none at all to tell them about it. There's no franchise which for our purposes is the local church, an outpost of the kingdom of God, pointing people to the remedy of the cross. And so yes, there are lost people all around us and we ought to be faithful to witness and evangelize to our neighbors and our coworkers and anyone that God would place in our path. But there is a distinct dif- difference between someone who is lost and someone who is unreached. And that is what Paul is getting at in Romans 15. There were certainly more people in Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum that had not professed Christ or had not um, learned about Christ yet. But the difference was they had access to the gospel. There were churches in, that had been established by Paul. And so his aim was to go to those who had never heard the name of Christ just want to encourage anyone here this morning that uh, is not yet a follower of Jesus. First of all, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you're encouraged by just being here with us. I want you to recognize the great blessing that it is to be placed among a people group right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, where the gospel has taken root and borne fruit. You have access to the gospel. It's available to you. You're hearing the message of salvation even right now. Today can be the day of salvation for you. The reality, friends, is that every people group from all over the earth, from every stage in history, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all rebelled against God who has made us, and we've all gone our own way. And God, in his holiness and his justice, he declares that the penalty for sin is death, eternal separation from him. But God, but God in his great love has made a way of salvation through sending Christ to live the life that we never could, to die the death that we deserved, and defeated the grave by rising again on the third day, so that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him would be forgiven and assured of the hope of eternal life. And so friend, again, if that is you this morning, if you have not given your life to Christ What are you waiting for? Do not delay. Jesus is ready to receive you right now. If you have questions about that or you're not ready, I'd love to talk more with you after service. I'll be available up front. Please come up. I'd love to get to know you better. But coming back to unreached people groups, I want to bring up a graphic that's going to help us visualize the world, the unreached peoples in the world. You'll notice that a majority of These people, so the red represents the unreached, are going to be in a section called what we call the 1040 window. Peoples in North Africa and the Middle East and Central and Southeast Asia and even the Far East, places like China and Japan, um, represents roughly a third of the world's population. About 30 to 33% of the world's total population live in these areas these red places. Friends, our strategy as a church is to target the peoples that live in the red areas. You might be sitting there asking, why are there so many people that are still unreached? Why are there so many red areas still? It's 2023. And frankly, the answer is pretty simple, that they're unreached because they're very hard to reach. Many of these red areas represent people subject to governments that are hostile toward Christianity. The language is hard to learn. The culture is hard to assimilate to. Um, They're convinced of other religions. There's many reasons for it, but they're hard places to work. Sacrificial work must be done. It's often risky and costly to go. And we praise the Lord for brothers and sisters who have leveraged their lives, they've leveraged their jobs as a platform to go to these people. While pastors and church planners could never dream of setting foot in these places, teachers and nurses and business leaders use their work as a way to stay in country legitimately in the eyes of the government, and they live as witnesses to these people far from Christ. Praise God for that. Maybe God would call you to leverage your career as a way of proclaiming the glory of Christ to one of these peoples. And friends, because it is so hard to reach these people, the statistics bear that out in terms of the big C churches sending of missionaries and funding them. About 3% of all missionaries sent from the U.S. go to these people in the red. 3% of all missionaries sent from the U.S. go to the peoples in the red. And less than 1% of all the money given to missions goes toward the peoples in the red. That's a great imbalance. And that's why we as a church are supporting gospel work in Thailand and India and the UAE and even a place that I can't name for security reasons. We've been given a certain allotment of resources by God. Things like financial support, prayer, our time, our relational care. And with what we have, we want to prioritize ministry to those red areas of the world. That's not to say that we'll never do work among reached peoples, but the bulk of our efforts are going to be spent on those people who have never heard the name of Christ. Before I move on, I want to make one very important disclaimer In no way am I saying that those Christians who have given their lives to working among the green or the yellow areas in the world are less than or not as important. Please do not hear that. Praise God for anyone who would give their life to carrying the gospel cross-culturally, whether it's in a green area or a red. I can't overstate how thankful I am and how we ought to be for those who have counted the cost in that way. But again, as a church, our strategy is with the finite finite resources that God has given us, we want to aim them with all that we have at those peoples that are in the red, that have yet to hear the name of Christ. I was talking a while back with one of our church members who works in the field of global missions, one of those folks that works stateside for global purposes he's been examining the changing face of missions in the 21st century and one of the comments that he made this was probably a couple years ago um, that he made in that conversation was so poignant and so impactful it still sticks with me today he said Luke it's going to take the world to reach the world for Christ I was like okay I think we're done here I'm going to need to chew on that for a minute." It's going to take the world to reach the world for Christ. In the last century, God has used the American church to bring about astounding progress for the gospel in places like Africa, Central, and South America. Many of these peoples that were once red are now turning green and yellow, and they're becoming less and less of a mission field, and they're changing more and more into a mission's force. They are taking up the helm of the Great Commission saying, hey, we're a part of this too. We're called by God to take the gospel to the people that have never heard the name of Christ. And so I mention that as a caveat to say that the mission to the unreached in the world doesn't fall on our shoulders alone. And thank the Lord for that. As we invest our time and training and funding into our brothers and sisters in reached places so that they can go to the unreached, it's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, is it not? Of the global church. And it's also an effective strategy. Let me tell you why. The reality is that Christians in Kenya and Ethiopia, these places where the gospel has exploded in the last hundred years, those brothers and sisters are positioned better than us to reach those red areas just north of them in North Africa. The geographic, the cultural, and the economic gaps that they would navigate would surely be done with greater ease than if you or I were to try to go. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider going cross-culturally. On the contrary, we ought to all put that on the table. Is God calling us to go to one of these places. To one of these peoples who need Christ. But as we think about the state of the mission and reaching the unreached, we need to start thinking more in terms of the world reaching the world and not the West reaching the world for Christ. And so, with the arrows that we have in our quiver here, together we take aim. Church, let's take aim at the unreached peoples of the world. So, with that as our main strategic emphasis, What are some of the values that we embrace as a church in our global outreach efforts? That's going to bring us to our second section. It'll go a little bit quicker than our first, our values as a global outreach ministry. The first is gospel proclamation is essential. Gospel proclamation is essential. John Piper has remarked, you've probably heard it before, that as Christians we're called to care about all suffering right? But especially eternal suffering. The verbal communication of the gospel is necessary for one to come to faith in Christ. As wonderful as doing good deeds and acts of compassion and mercy are, those things alone cannot save a person's soul. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the gospel must be proclaimed so that it can be heard, and believed. Pastor Tommy mentioned last week that there are many faithful ministries that utilize doing good, providing clean water or essential goods as a demonstration of God's love to the lost so that they can then share about them where that love comes from, why they're there, why they're doing the good things they're doing. It's because of the message of Christ. And so we value and view the proclamation of the gospel as essential in all of our global outreach efforts. Number two, the local church is central in global missions. The local church is central in global missions. Throughout the New Testament, we see the church grow as local churches send members to go and establish other churches in other places. As Pastor Andy Johnson states it, he puts it this way the local church is the engine of world missions. And so when we think about global missions at Castleton, we want to ensure we filter everything through uh, what we're supporting is significantly connected to the church. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone has to be pastors or church planters. As I just mentioned a moment ago, men and women from all types of careers have gone and continue to go to be effective. Uh, missionaries in the field but what it does mean is that we believe that gospel work ought to be done in and through the local church cross-culturally or seeking to establish a church where there is none ministry cross-culturally or locally wherever it's done cannot be done severed from or detached from the church finally number three deep partnerships One of our values is deep partnerships. Now, the first two values that I mentioned are non-negotiable. The gospel must be proclaimed. People will not come to faith unless the the gospel is proclaimed. It cannot be saved by just good works and acts of mercy and love. And missions cannot be severed from the church. It can't be detached from the engine of world missions. But this third one, deep partnerships, it's more of a philosophy of ministry. And so there's freedom for churches to do this differently. But what I mean by deep partnerships is that rather than casting our net wide and supporting, let's say, 50 missionary families or units at smaller financial amounts and a low level of communication and relationship, what we want to do here is support a few really, really well. We want to support a few missionary partners really, really well as a church. And what does that look like? It means we want to be able to not only just give more financially to them, but we want to provide ongoing support and care. We want to develop friendships and relationships with them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. You guys just heard from Luke and Laura Humphrey, and for those that have been here for any amount of time, as Terry mentioned, he's been here to preach probably two or three times. And that's just... A great picture of this mutual, what a partnership is all about. It's giving and receiving. We're, we're giving to them and supporting them and he's here serving us by bringing the word and informing and shaping the way that we see the world and God's work in the world. And uh, so that this is all possible because we are seeking to focus on a few rather than many. I praise God for all of the conversations that I have with our partners that They tell me about the encouraging conversations they have with you all and the prayer times that they experience and the birthday cards that they receive from our church. That's that's what it's all about. That's what gospel partnership looks like, that they're a part of our family. If you're not involved and want to be and want to do some of these things, great first step. The bulletin this morning had a prayer insert. It's got up-to-date information and prayer requests for all of our partners just commit to taking that and praying through that this week. We also have prayer cards out at the Global Outreach Wall, which you have, if you haven't seen that, it's out in the cafe. And uh, there's prayer cards there that have uh, their pictures on them. You can stick them in your car or at your office or on your fridge. There's Their email addresses are on there so that you can reach out to them, introduce yourself, send them a note of encouragement. You can sign up for their ongoing newsletter so that you're up to date receiving a uh, current prayer requests and and what's going on in their lives, so I'd encourage you, please take advantage of that as well. Friends, I hope that this morning you've garnered a better understanding of our strategy and our values when it comes to global ministry, but more than that, I hope that your heart has been stirred for the billions of people, yes, billions, a third of the world's population approximately, that occupy those red areas on the map. Friends, we have the greatest news on earth. Amen. Amen. We have the greatest news. Let's not keep it to ourselves. All of us are called to this. It's not a calling for a select few or the spiritually elite among us as if those that go or those that are involved in this kind of ministry are just at a different tier spiritually than us. All of us have a role to play in this. And so what is your next step? What is God calling you to do and and how is he calling you to participate in his global mission? I'll give you just a couple ideas before we close. Maybe it's volunteering with our ESL ministry that happens on Monday nights starting in August. This will be like our third or fourth year doing it. And the nations have come to us in our own backyard. And you could come and be a door greeter or set up snacks and coffee or you could be a conversation partner. There's lots of ways you can be involved in that ministry. If you're interested, uh, please come talk to me. I'd love to connect you with the the people that lead that. Maybe you pray about going on a short-term trip and have God open your heart more and more to how to share your faith with those of other backgrounds. Oftentimes, short-term trips can, can cause us to become more and more impassioned about taking the gospel to the nations, and also simultaneously can serve those that we go to. It can be mutually beneficial. Or maybe you join the Bar- the Barnabas prayer Zoom call that happens every third Sunday. It happened this morning at 7.30 a.m. You can join it right in the comfort of your own home. Luke Humphrey was on there this morning sharing current prayer requests. You can see their faces, hear their voices, and pray with them right then and there. So I encourage you to sign up for that downstairs at the Experience Reach, if you'd like. Whatever it may be, and it will look different for all of us. Every, everyone's calling in this looks different. The, the reality is that the majority of us in this room will not go cross-culturally, full-time Christian work, to another place. And the reason for that is largely because it's going to take the majority of us to send the few that do go, and to keep them there, and to sustain them on the mission field. But is the Lord, maybe the Lord calling you to consider going? Going to one of those peoples in the red. We long for and desire to send someone from our church one day. I dream about that. I I long for that day when we'll be able to send out one of our own. Whatever it may be, whatever it looks like for you, God is calling all of us to do the same thing and that is to lay our hands Open wide. Total open handed surrender. And the question I have for you friends is this. Is he worthy of that to you? Is he worthy whatever it might cost you. To take the gospel to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Our text that we began with in Revelation 5. It answers that question. He's the lamb who was slain. And he's the only one worthy. He is worthy. Amen. He's worthy of it. So let's pray. Lord, it is a privilege to see your plan unfold before our eyes from start to finish, your plan to save a people for your glory. And God, you and in your infinite wisdom have called us, your people, to participate with you in seeing the nations come Worship you. Lord, we acknowledge up front that we are not sufficient for this task. We know that, Lord. And yet that's the whole point, Lord, that you might receive all the more glory and praise as you use weak and feeble people to accomplish your purposes in the world. So, God, we pray that you'd help us as a church to be faithful, to be faithful partners and be faithful prayer warriors and maybe for those that are considering or being stirred up right now, that you would call someone to go, to forsake all and to to give their lives, to leverage their lives, to go to a people who have never heard of you. Lord, as we sing now, would you fill our hearts with such joy at the thought of that day coming when all the peoples will gather around your throne and declare, worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and you are worthy. We pray these things for your glory and your matchless name, Jesus. Amen.